Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Real Science Exchange, the podcast where leading scientists and industry professionals meet over a few drinks to discuss the latest ideas and trends in animal nutrition. Hi, I'm Scott Sorrell, one of your hosts here tonight at the Real Science Exchange. Today, we're taking a different approach and bringing you a series of talks given at the 2022 Cornell uh, Nutrition Conference as part of the New Revelations in Transition Cal Nutrition mini symposium. There are four in this series, so be sure to come back and listen to all of them. The first presentation is from Dr. Mike Van Amberg from Cornell. Mike will share new thinking around categorizing nutrients as essential or required and how that might impact cow performance. Before we dig in, I'd like to welcome back our trusty, rusty co-host, uh, Dr. Clay Zimmerman. Welcome, Clay. Uh, thank you for uh, agreeing to join me here once again. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, good to be here tonight. Yeah. So as customary here to exchange, I got to ask, what's in your glass tonight? In my thermos tonight is my favorite diet beverage. So okay, very well, and that's, that's your favorite. What I'm thermos. having. I've tonight. seen that before. Yeah. Right, good. What's in well, What's in your glass tonight? Well, Scott? in honor of uh, Dr. Van Amberg, I am having a scotch. Uh, I don't drink the high price stuff that he drinks. I'm <laughs> drinking the Macallan. That's high enough price, but Mike. Yeah, he's got higher taste than I do. So in the spirit of our uh, virtual pub, let's raise our glasses, uh, Clay, for a quick toast before we proceed. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Tonight's pubcast stories are brought to you by Reassure Precision Release Choline. Reassure is the most researched encapsulated choline on the market today, consistently delivering results to your transition cows of higher peak milk, reduced metabolic disorders, and even in utero benefits to her calf leading to growth and health improvements. Visit Balchem.com to learn more. Since this podcast will be a little different, let's start with some content from Mike's talk. There's so much new research coming out, especially around the transition period and how the new NASM recommendations can change the way we balance rations. Dr. Mike Van Amberg lays out a new way to think about essential and non-essential nutrients. Talk mostly about uh, um, Andrew Lapierre and Andres Ortega, uh, currently a postdoc and a PhD student, uh, contributed to this, um, so I'll recognize them. So what are we going to do this morning? We're going to talk about essential versus required nutrients. I'm going to talk about implications for both energy and protein requirements. I'm going to have some examples of essential and required nutrients and metabolism where the interaction might limit productivity, and, and I'll summarize. I think it start, it's a real simple thing. You know, when we, when we think about what we're formulating for, um, most of the time we're thinking about required nutrients, right? And we can do that a couple different ways. I'm going to focus on amino acids a lot today. Uh, we could go lots of different directions, but this is, this is easier for me to think about. Um, you know, what is an essential nutrient? It's a substance required by the body for survival, growth, and reproduction that allow for essential functions. It cannot be made endogenously, but can be interconverted to other forms of nutrients. I'm going to come back to that because that seems to be a real buzz right now, right? We talk about efficiency of use of amino acids and that, you know, the new NASM's out. We do that in the CNCPS, and I think we get confused about what that number means. And, and um, you know, do you want an optimum output? Do you want a maximum output? Or do you want the highest efficiency? Well, the highest efficiency is probably a deficient animal. All right. We all learned that kind of in our sophomore nutrition class, but sometimes when we're out there, we're not, we get caught up in these efficiencies. 
All right, and I think we'll talk about that. Essential amino acids, you know, such as methionine, lysine, histidine, we can go through the rest of them. You know, carbohydrates are essential. We can't, body doesn't make those. I gotta figure out this pointer. Uh, minerals, vitamins, things of that nature. Again, I'm gonna stick to amino acids this morning. What's a required nutrient? Well, a required nutrient can be made from other metabolites, synthesized or interconverted, right? And an easy example of that is a non-essential amino acid. Is that free? Are those non-essential nutrients free? No. They take energy. They take resources. They take reducing equivalents. They take ATP. They take glucose. They take essential amino acid interconversions. Right? And, and that's all built in when we're trying to formulate for these essential amino acids and their requirements, and we look at these efficiencies, part of that efficiency is the conversion to non-essential amino acids or any other use that that amino acid might have. In, in my experience with the CNCPS, some of that's really difficult to get to for a lot of different reasons. I'll talk about that. I think we have to start thinking that way. Uh, some of this, I think, can be framed out with the right experiments, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, this metabolizable protein thing, right? You know, 10 years ago when we started framing out the ascent, reframing the essential amino acid requirements as a function of energy in, in version seven, I had several people say to me, oh, you can throw metabolizable protein out now. My grad students were advocating that, my postdocs were advococating that, and I'm, I'm like, I said, democracy doesn't always win here. The answer is no. Um, I, I let them win a couple times and it cost us time and energy again because we had to go back and redo something. But, you know, it's the sum of all the essential and non-essential amino acids, right? So when we account for essential amino acids, we assume the non-essentials are met by metabolism as they make up the balance. What we forget is that cattle also consume the non-essential amino acids, right? And some of them are going to get to the small intestine, and some of them are going to be absorbed. And the more of those that are absorbed, the less have to be interconverted from essential amino acids or other substrates, right? So we have this kind of tension going on where those, just because we call them non-essentials doesn't mean they're not required, right? They're required in very high amounts. And I think as we get to higher and higher levels of productivity, all of a sudden those things start to show up and we don't don't know how to deal with it. I'll give you a couple examples. So if we think about it, non-essential amino acids generally make up between 46 and 53% of the total amino acid intake, depends on the protein. <laughs> so, so they're eating a lot, right? We don't think about protecting them to get them to the small intestine, but if you use any rumen-protected protein or any processed soy or canola or whatever, it's not just supplying the, non or the essentials, it's also supplying the non-essentials, right? You can see kind of where this is headed, right? So what's one of the next tricks in our modeling effort? Well, we're going to start to frame out the non-essentials. And I'll give you a couple reasons why maybe that should be done. Thus, you know, thus the intake of non-essential room and escape will provide MP as non-essentials, just like essentials, right? And, you know, of course, microbial proteins also comprised of both essential and non-essential amino acids. So... Our problem, we've been a little myopic about this because we just, we, even though we analyze for them, we get all the 20 amino acids out of a mass spec or an HPLC, whatever technique you're using, GC, 
doesn't matter. Um, they're there. We just don't do anything with them. So we talk about non-essential amino acids, right? So I'm going to get into some of the pathways here. It can be made by various pathways using essential amino acids or other substrates. We have to remember that synthesis is energy intensive, right? And, and this is where, as we look at cows that we are starting to make work harder, not make work harder, they're working harder because we're figuring out how to give them the right nutrients, right? How many of you see milk fats now at four or five, four, 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 five? Yeah, exactly. That takes a hell of a lot of reducing equivalents. We sure don't want to be spending them on conversion of essentials to non-essentials, right? Maybe a little bit, but we got to be careful, right? Where's the upper limit? So, so can possibly be limiting under conditions of high demand implies in this, I think this is a big one. It, re, it implies a reduced efficiency of use of essential amino acids if converted to non-essentials as they're not directly used for protein metabolism, right? Because in what I mean, protein, they're, a lot, they're, they're making a product, but sometimes they go different directions to do different things in cellular structures. You know, so we get into, we get into this um, concept of metabolic flexibility in the mammary gland and nitrogen use efficiency, right? And, and there's a lot on this slide. We talk about how adaptable the organ is, and there's lots of sources of, of nutrients you know, and the cow can manipulate blood flow. I'm going to come back to the blood flow thing a little bit with one example based on requirements or, or recognition of varying nutrient supply. You know, the output to up, uptake to output of amino acids in the gland is not uniform across the amino acids. I'm going to talk about that based on, you know, MEFM's one, two, and three groupings of amino acids, right? And we've got lots of different signaling pathways that will play into how the gland responds to nutrients. So our general understanding is an optimal supply of amino acids with improved energy status will maximize anabolic output, right? But notice I use the word optimum, not maximum supply, because I think there are optimums per unit of energy, right? That's just the way we're thinking about it. But there's, there's tweaks around that. So if we look at, if we look at the, the mammary adaptability and we think about where things are coming from, here's, uh, here's MEFM's, MEFM's uh, categories, and this uh, modified by Helene's LaPierre. So we've got group one, group two, and group three. Group one, you know, histidine, phenylalanine, methionine, tyrosine, and tryptophan efficiency. So if we look at efficiency of use, amino acid nitrogen uptake per amino acid nitrogen in the milk. For, for these guys, it's all one. If we look at isoleucine, leucine, valine, lysine, arginine, and threonine, all of a sudden it's greater than 1.15, right? So the uptake is pretty high. If we look at the group threes down here, which are mostly non-essential cysteine, we got to flip back and forth between methionine. Um, proline, I'm going to come back to proline, it's less than one, Okay. So when we think about extraction of branch chains across the lactation, there's a lot of cellular maintenance and anabolic responses related to the branch chains, especially. So, you know, and lysine undergoes obligate catabolism in the mammary gland. So one of Helene LaPierre and I used to have these crazy conversations and she'd look at me and go, Mike, why does the mammary gland take up all the lysine it sees? And I would just look back at her and say, because it must have a use for it. She goes, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't come out in the milk. I said it doesn't come out directly in the milk. That doesn't mean the mammary gland doesn't have a use for it, right? 
and, and we confuse that, right? We think, well, if it's an essential amino acid and it's a limiting amino acid, why is it taking it all up? Well, it must have other uses. What if, how many of you know that lysine is involved in fatty acid synthesis? Yeah, those of you that have studied those things. <laughs> yeah, so if you're short on lysine, what's going to happen to fatty acid synthesis? It decreases, right? How's that? You know, so because we're trying to figure out how we're getting cows to 4.8 and 4.9 milk fat now. And the only thing we can come up with is we finally gave the mammary gland enough lysine to let it happen. You know, and Eve Buckler would argue with me, that can't be true. Like, well, I don't know. The cows are telling us it might be true. All right, arginine's taken up in drastic excess, right? Two and a half times. I'm going to come back to that. Catabolism products include proline, ornithine, and urea. Proline is high in milk casein, right? And we can look at, you know, we can look at input and output relationships here. And you can see, you know, if you come over to this one, you can see this group one, group two, group three. You can see input and output for the group one, input, output for the groups two, input, output for the group three, right? And you can see subtle, subtle shifts in there um, that say, hey, you know what? This isn't uniform and they're going to they're gonna interconvert a bunch of those amino acids. You know, and you can do this kind of thing here, right? And talk about non-essentials. You can see there's, you know, isoleucine, leucine, lysine, phenylalanine, and tyranine can go into the CO-CoA and, you know, off to CO2, can go lots of different directions. Threonine can come in. You've got ammonia coming off. Notice that choline's over here. I'm going to come back to choline at the end of my talk. Tryptophan here can go in to acetylcholine, pyruvate. Here's some other amino acids going into oxaloacetate. The less of these intermediates that we have, the greater the pressure for these things to run that way, which means we're going to use up more of our essential amino acids to fill those pathways, right? Because it's an obligate function. But if we had some other non-essentials in there and some other intermediates coming from other places, then that wouldn't have to happen, right? We get into the branch chain amino acids and we get into alpha ketoglutarate, you know, the glutamine, glutamine, glutamate, glutamine cycle. And down here, you can see the arginine proline, you know, cycle. So, so there's all these interactions. I think this is important because it's not a free ride, right? If we start to throw in where we, you know, we can do the, the cysteine, cystathione, choline, you know, get into those interactions. It doesn't really matter. You've got methionine in here, homocysteine hydroxyproline, in each one of these interactions, you're using equivalent, reducing equivalence, you're using ATP, you know, branch chain to branch chain keto acids. We're using energy to do all of these transformations. So it ain't free. And as we get cows to higher and higher levels of productivity, all of a sudden we probably need to start considering those. And, and we, we hit one of those walls, we think, in an experiment that I'll share with you many of you saw last year, all right? If we just look at arginine, um, you know, this is from a Morris et al., you know, we get different, you get diet arginine, you get protein turnover, you get endogenous synthesis. Where's it go, right? Well, in the arginine uptake, again, 2.45 to 1. The range is 0.88 to 4.18, right? So arginine, we consider uh, a semi-essential amino acid because it can be produced in the cow, yet if you look at what it does, it has a lot of roles. Blood flow, 
proline, polyamines, cell stability, glutamate. I don't think that's really a semi-essential amino acid, right? Just the fact that she can make a little bit of it doesn't mean that it might not be required at some point. Well, it is required, right? The question is, is does she ever run out of it and how do we know? Trying to figure that out is, is the trick, right? So we did this study. Um, this was what we did. I showed this last year. I'm going to come back to it because there's a story here, right? Um, and I think it helps flesh this out, right? So we did this Menensen uh, titration. You know, these cows, these cows were making, when we put them on study, sorry, you can't see everything there. They were 90 to 92 pounds of milk, 3.9 protein, 3.9 fat, and 3.1 true protein, right? This wasn't an amino acid study, but we used version 7 thinking to build these diets, okay? There's the composition. I'm not going to spend time on that, uh, but we're trying to be transparent about how we build these diets just so everybody knows what we're doing. Uh, heavy, you know, fatty acid blends, some sugar, getting the amino acids up there, you know, a little bit of rumen stimulation. 54% forage, dry ground corn, um, a pretty good corn silage and average haylage. Sugar. Right, we're pushing that up. Methionine up at 1.19 grams per mcal of ME, and then 2.7 times that for uh, the lysine. Uh, so we're pushing quite a few grams, and we're trying to blend up the fatty acids um, because we there's some metabolism there that we think is important. Uh, here's the important part of this, right? So when we start looking at these cows, these so we're we're now we're cows 190 days in milk roughly. They're consuming about 26, almost 27 kilograms of dry milk intake. They're making about 39 to 40 kilograms of milk, not quite 40 there. Our milk fats are 4.6 to 4.7, right? Is that pretty good? Yeah. And we took them from 3.9 in mid-lactation. So this is where I think lysine is really important for milk fat synthesis. But you got to have the methionine there too, right? You can't ignore, you can't do one without the other. And lo and behold, these girls did what? They made a decent amount of protein, right? We had good fermentation. We must have had a lot of propionate. We had good glucose production. So we're at 335, almost 34, right? While we're up at close to 4647. Keep going. Um, energy, okay, energy corrected, energy corrected milk running, you know, in the high 40s, right? Those cows performing pretty well? Yeah, those are pretty good cows. Dave Barbano, you know, here I'll come back to the story. Dave Barbano is part of this. He's calling me up. saying, Mike, did you buy jerseys at the research farm? Like, no, I was laughing at him. I said, what are you? He goes, why are you laughing at me? I said, why are you asking me that question? He goes, because you got cows that are performing. I've never seen Holsteins perform that way. That can't be true, right? Well... You know, it's, it's, they're really Holsteins, Dave. And he said that just, I, we don't have any Holstein data that looks like that, right? And what was really blowing him away were the de novos and the mixed, right? So we're having this conversation, right? And then, you know, I didn't understand this until I went and pulled one of his, his papers. And here's where his data stops and here's where our Holsteins are at. Here's the jerseys, right? So these cows are performing like the best jerseys, okay? So this is cool. 
So Dave thinks this is awesome, right? So Dave's like, hey, this is really great. You know, we got to figure out how to do this some more. Can you repeat this? You know, and then one day he walks over and he goes, I don't like your study. I put my cheesemaker hat on and I don't like your study. I'm looking at him like it's our study. Excuse me. He was not today. It's your study right now because I'm a cheesemaker and I don't want to buy your milk. Well, what the hell's wrong with the milk? He says, if I have to make cheddar from that milk, I have to skim it now. Why is that? He says, I can't make legal cheddar with that milk because you got too much fat and not enough protein. I said, what do you mean not enough protein? I said, what does it need to be? He goes, well, that level of fat, you got to be at 3-6 protein. And before I could say what I thought it was, he goes, I think you're short on non-essential amino acids. And I started laughing. He goes, why are you laughing at me? I said, because we just had the conversation yesterday in my lab group. We think we're short on non-essential amino acids. And almost simultaneously, we looked at each other and said, proline. And then we both started laughing, right? Why would we say proline? Why the hell would we say proline? Yeah, it's casein. If there's enough energy there, they could be short on proline because you need to make the three-dimensional structure. Guess what you need to make the three-dimensional structure of casein? You need one hell of a lot of proline. Okay, so let's go there. So if you look at the amino acid composition of casein and bacterial protein, I threw the bacteria on here. Sorry, not, I didn't have time to do it on the same basis. I just <laughs> didn't have enough time. But if you look at, um, I got them highlighted here, is isoleucine, leucine, and valine. These are the amino acids. Uh, I'm going backwards here. These are the amino acids. I get my fingers on the buttons. In the highest concentration in casein. Uh, and look over here. Now, other than glutamine, 110 grams per kilogram. That's more than everything else. So when you put them all together, if you're making casein, that's 208 grams of, of per kilogram for branch chains and 100, basically 111 grams of proline. So if you run out of proline, what can't you do? You can't make casein. Now, we don't know this as a fact, but it was interesting that the milk chemist and the nutritional physiologist did what? We came to the same conclusion from two very different directions, right? So all of a sudden we're going, oh, okay, that's interesting. We probably need to focus on this, right? And if you look at, if you look at proline production in the mammary gland, you know, there, there is a pathway for this, but notice, you know, uh, alpha ketoglutarate and NADPH is coming from the Krebs cycle. So you're, you're, you need reducing equivalents and you need arginine, right? So there's that arginine thing as a semi-essential amino acid, but it's still implying it's what? It's semi-essential, but it's required, right? And we, again, this is one of those things where we muddy the waters by just saying, well, it's semi-essential. I don't know if we really have to worry about it because she's just going to make it. I'm not sure. If we have Holsteins making 4-8 fat and 3-3 three, three or 3-4 three, protein, maybe she can't make enough right? Because she's already used up all of her reducing equivalents to do what? Make the fat. The fat was probably easier, actually. You know, and this is another thing, because you get into the energy requirements to make protein versus deposit the fat, and they're two different things. 
So anyhow, so we've got that. We did a study. This is, uh, I didn't forget about this. I just didn't really have a, I never had a chance to actually pull it out of the thesis. Um, we did an abomasal infusion study years ago of histidine and proline. And um, this is CNCPS version 6.1. So this, by today's standards, this thing's really broken. So just bear with me as I go through it, because I would like to take these diets and rerun them to see where we are actually at <laughs> on a few of these nutrients, right? So, so you know, so we've got this, you know, we're, we're trying to do our best at the time. So we're at 6'1", we got a 635 kilogram cow consuming about 22.6 kilograms of dry matter, producing about 40 kilograms of milk at 365 fat and 301 protein. We're going to infuse 10 grams of histidine or 20 grams of proline or the same amount of both, right? My desire to want to, the histidine thing was interesting because everybody was talking about histidine at the time as being third limiting, right? So I thought, well, I'm going to throw that in there. My real interest, we just did that because we could. My real interest in this was getting at the proline thing. You know, and this is quite a few years ago now. So we're, we're predicting, right, a negative balance for arginine. So I, what I'm thinking is I can't give, I could give the cows arginine or I could just give them proline to reduce the pressure on conversion, which should take that, towards a positive side, right? I'm just playing off the pathway. And then the histidine is the histidine. You know, we know I, you know, Andrew and I looked at these numbers today and, and the histidine requirement's way, way low. So that's okay. We fixed that. So, I, well, we think we have. Okay, so when you look at the, when you look at the cows, this was a really interesting outcome. They're about 26 kilos, 25. They drop a little bit on the proline. So here's the control. Histidine, histidine plus proline, and the proline. Feed efficiency, fat-corrected milk, 195, 192, 195, 2.1. Okay, so we pop a little bit, but some of that's the intake. Milk, no significant difference. Fat-corrected milk, no significant difference, but we tended to go up. You know, we're at 52, 51, 8, 50, 49, 52, 4. Fat, 1871, 1806, 1736, 1929, right? On a proline infusion, those girls popped, you know, 50, depends on which way you want to look at it, but you're looking at 50 to 100 grams, not quite 100 grams of fat. Lactose stayed pretty steady. Protein, no, no big effect, right? But we did see this big increase in milk fat. And again, with the way our study, the, with the power of it, we couldn't quite get Significance there, there is a large increase in lactose. I'm not sure what that means, uh, a difference in PUNs or NPN, All right? So we see some subtle effects here. The feed efficiency thing, the fat is the one that really intrigues me, right? Because 1871 to 1804, you know, these are different if you do a mean separation. 1736, that's definitely significant. And the same thing here. So if you do mean separation, these guys are all a little bit different. And the best performance is on the pro proline infusion. And that's on the fat, not on the protein. That's the other thing I think we have to get our heads out of our heads is if amino acids are not directly related to milk protein. They're related to protein synthesis. But that protein synthesis could be for fat, could be for lactose, could be for milk protein, right? So we have to, we have to separate those out. This was the interesting thing. We did blood flow in this study. Here's the control. There's the histidine. 
There's the histidine plus proline. There's the proline, right? So the cows, you know, and, and I, I know some of the Wisconsin data says, well, if you delete histidine, blood flow goes up to respond to it. I don't know if that's what this is or the cows are just responding to the proline. But you see a nice increase in blood flow here, right? So in other words, the gland is seeing something and responding to it, right? Back to how they, they sense some of these nutrients, right? So again, proline could be important. Don't have conclusive evidence. We think in our study that may, in that, that uh, study I just showed you, it's one of the things um, that may be inhibiting, right? If we look at some recent uh, infusion studies, what's my time here? So I'm, oh, we're good, ha <laughs> ha. Well, that's unusual for me. So, <laughs> so if we look at the infusions, Metcalf's in the other room, I should drag him over here. Um, <laughs> if we look at the infusions, he did juggler infusions. There's the, uh, there's the essential amino acids, there's the non-essential amino acids. Four cows, mid-lactation, four days of saline, bless you, followed by five days of mix. Diet around 87% of the protein requirements and 104 of the ME. Control diet, 104 on the MP and 106 on the ME. Uh, MP requirements within treatments, 120 and 108. 120 on the total and 108 on the essentials, right? So when we look at productivity, um, you know, some of these are a little bit mixed when you look at total amino acids or the essential amino acids. So what you're looking at here is the addition of the non-essentials. And, you know, when you look at fat, and this, this has been seen a couple times, you know, control versus infuse. The fat actually went down here on his infusions, not on the essentials. Protein, um, increase from the control, increase from the control, right? Um, so both of them gave increases about the same range, you know, a little significance there. Um, a little difference in lactose here, it went the other way. When you look at fat synthesis, yeah, you don't see quite as much. Protein, nice push in protein, same thing there, right? How much of that is it? Oops. How much is how much of that is essential versus non-essential? Looks like a lot of it is essential, right? So in mid-lactation cows, and I think this is one of those things, you're gonna see this in a minute. In a mid-lactation cow, is she stressed for nutrients? No. So do you know, would I expect to see big changes here? What I wish these guys would do when they do these studies is please weigh the cow. Because my guess is she's doing what? Like all mammals. Yeah, she's putting it on her back. She's not going to waste it. She's not going to make more heat. And I think that's a real big miss in all of this work is that we're not looking at where she's secreting these nutrients, right? So, so I think that's something we have to, if we're going to do anything, start weighing the cows. If you go down here, if you look at the essentials, you see a, a nice jump here, but not so much on the total amino acids. I always find these responses confusing when you just do essential amino acids or you do all amino acids and you don't see the same response. That seems counterintuitive to me that you're, you're given it the same amount of essential amino acids. So why adding the non-essentials doesn't seem to take it away that unless you're just saturating something, right? Um, here's another one of those studies. These cows are 61 days in milk. They used a casein profile and a three to one lysine to methionine. And here's the amount of infusion on the essentials and the amount infused per day on the non-essentials. And, you know, again, 
eight cows, uh, 61 days, abomasal infusion, four treatments, control, essential, non-essential totals, 72% of MP, and they're using 100% of NEL. All right, when we pull this up, sorry, these are a little bit light here. Um, you know, this is interesting. These cows are not eating a lot. They're at 16, 15 to 16 kilograms of dry matter intake, right? So my first, again, but this is one of those studies that we look at. Is there a huge energy demand on these cows? No, right? So I don't want to discount it completely, but it's one of those where I say, ah, these are not high producing cows, right? Uh, I got cows that are at 26 to 28 and 29 and 30 kilos now, right? So moving towards twice that and they're twice as much milk. You know, so I, I look at this study and I go, this is interesting, but I'm not sure if we're going to learn anything from it, but I'm going to show it to you because this is what's out there, right? You do control versus essential and you see about three kilograms of milk. You do non-essentials, you don't see anything. You do total and you see 37.9. So you pick up about a kilo from essential to adding the non-essentials on fat from 976. So, so not, you know, 60 grams, uh, nothing much there when you look at totals. Crude protein, nice jump on the essentials. Um, not much with the non-essentials total, it comes back up. But again, not a lot of synergy here. Lactose, the same thing, right? Fats, um, these cows are milk fat depressed, 2928, 2.9, 2.6. They're actually inverted. So again, I think they have some probably not great rumen fermentation. There's just a lot of things going on there, right? So I'm not sure this is... Again, this is out there. I felt like I needed to show it to you, but we're kind of going, eh, I don't really think that this is probably the right model. Here's the right model. So this is a study out of, uh, I think, Netherlands, Bilal, 2021, nine Holstein cows calving to 50 days in milk, right? So we're hitting them up, early lactation, non-essential amino acid infusions in fresh cows, two treatments, total amino acids or essential amino acids using a casein profile, abomasal infusions, right? Now, these girls, on the other hand, told us what? Yeah, I need those non-essentials. I really need those non-essentials, okay? Early lactation, just initiated lactation, huge demand. So this is the other thing we gotta learn. If we're gonna study this, where do we have to do it? Early lactation when there's a high demand, right? When the resources are gonna be limited. I think that's the key here is we've got to figure out how to upgrade our model a little bit and be working with cows that truly have a high metabolic demand. We can't do this in, we can't do it in an easy mid-lactation cow because everybody else is done with them, <laughs> right? That's not, we got to, we got to kind of get our way in. You know, I, I always got to work through McFadden and Overton and all those guys and Jess and Sabine who are always doing these fresh cow things. I said, I need to get some of these cows because I need to be able to test this stuff too. Right, but notice what happened, right? Here's the essentials, here's the total amino acids. You got nine kilograms of milk. You got 18 to 20 pounds of milk. Holy crap, right? That's a big deal. So can we get rid of metabolizable protein? Absolutely not. This is the best example I have of that. When somebody says, oh, then Amberg, we can just balance on essential amino acids. Uh-uh-uh-uh, we're not gonna do that, all right? So, you know, and, and just to just finish up here, one more metabolism slide. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. This was from uh, Rodrigo Milano's PhD when he was, our master's actually, when he was working on B vitamins. 
I did this simply to come down here and introduce this. Uh, I'm down in some one carbon metabolism here. So methyl donors. And, you know, I know I'm doing a Balchem talk, but I still think this is real and we should be framing this out, right? So choline, is choline a required or essential? Is it required or essential? Is it not essential? What do you guys think? Come on, somebody give me an answer. You're not going to offend Clay. He's not going to kick you out if you say no. <laughs> well, I think it's required. It's definitely essential in my book, right? And because it is essential, what should we be doing in our nutrition models? We should be framing out a requirement. We should be doing that just like everything else, right? You know, it's, it's, in, it's, it's in one carbon metabolism. It makes the efficiency of use of methionine better, right? It's doing all sorts of things that we need to, we need to pay attention to. And there's data, right? It'd be one thing if there weren't data, right? But there's data. So we, I've only got one slide on this. But if you look at the meta-analysis from our shot in 2020, you know, and you look at, you know, feeding choline and dry matter intake postpartum, you see a reasonable increase. If you look at milk yield, energy corrected milk yield and feeding choline, there's a response, right? To, to me as a modeler, I look at that and go, I, I need to figure out how to put some sort of a requirement in there because I think it makes a cow more efficient because she's not spending time using other methyl donors, right? If we don't give her choline, what's she got to do? She's got to find some other methyl donor that maybe is less efficient. Right? But if we take it away, we make her energetic efficiency better. If we give it, sorry, if we give it to her, we make her energetic efficiency better. Right? And to me, this is all about energy efficiency. Right? So put it in there, 1.1 pounds of dry matter intake, 4.8 pounds of energy corrected milk. Fairly uniform response to me. And this is the conversation I had with Clay a month ago or whenever we, we had breakfast I'm comfortable if we can get the right kind of data starting to figure out how to frame this because the data are coming. We got a lot of data now that all say what? The cows are going in a certain direction when we put that in the diet. We just, you know, how many grams, when, what does it play off of? Does it interact with methionine? Does it change the methionine requirement? Does it increase the methionine requirement? I don't know. All of those, that's where, Heather, maybe you can help us figure out how to do that, right? And, and frame it out in a way that we can make a better prediction. Okay, just to summarize, the data would suggest that high-producing cattle have requirements for nutrients that are deemed non-essential. As productivity increases, there are different stages of lactation. Nutrient resources become more limiting for all pathways, and this could be energy, amino acids, or something like a methyl donor. Terms like metabolizable protein are going to remain useful as it captures the supply of non-essential amino acids. And we need to consider non-essential nutrients like required nutrients and start to describe the requirements in nutritional models, right? So Clay, Mike talked a lot about the differences between essential and required. Could you just summarize for, for me and the audience uh, what the key differences are between essential and required? Our last call question is sponsored by AminoSure XM, Precision Release Methionine, the next generation in amino acid balancing. With AminoSure XM, you can save up to five cents per cow per day on your methionine investment. Try it today and receive an additional 2.5 cents per cow per day savings with Belchem's limited time rebate offer. Contact your Belchem representative to learn more. 
Yeah. So the first of all, you know, anyone that's taken a nutrition class, you know, the example that Mike used talking about amino acids, I think pretty much everyone is familiar with essential amino acids versus not essential amino acids. <clears throat> so the, de the definition of an essential nutrient, first of all, it's one that, you know, it's one that is needed by the body, you know, either for maintenance or production or reproduction. But the key thing that makes it essential is it cannot be produced endogenously by the body. You know, our the mammalian cell, cells cannot produce that nutrient. So, you know, the essential amino acids, the 10 essential amino acids, they cannot be produced by mammalian tissues. Now, the ruminant's a little bit different, right? The ruminant microbes can produce all of the amino acids, the essentials and non-essentials. But it, <clears throat> it's a very good nutritional analogy to think about, first of all, essential versus non-essential from an amino acid standpoint. Required nutrients are nutrients that can be made from other metabolites, uh, they can be synthesized or interconverted. So they are required. A required nutrient is required by the animal for some productive function. You know, again, you know, maintenance, production, reproduction, you know, maybe immune response. You know, it, a required nutrient is required <clears throat> by the animal for some function. So... If we think about amino acids, they have to be provided in the diet in a in a mammal. Um, but non-essential amino acids, um, they can be produced in the body, but in a high-producing dairy cow, some of the non-essential amino acids probably are required. They need to be provided in the diet at higher levels. And that that was the case that that Mike was making during his presentation is just because an amino acid is not essential, it may be required in these higher producing cows. Hmm. Yeah. So nice and clay. Yeah. I, th I thought he did a very nice job using that analogy. I think all nutritionists can relate to that, the amino acid example. Yeah. You know, another aspect of his talk that I found intriguing was the meta-analysis that had been done with choline. Can you kind of give us uh, some of the key takeaways from that research, Clay? I know you know it well. Yeah. So basically, you know, it, it, it was a uh, – it was it's the latest published uh, meta-analysis on feeding room of protected choline during the transition period. It was published in 2020 um, out of Jose Santos's lab. In journal dairy science, and it uh, you know it, it it looked at the twenty one peer reviewed studies at that time where where um, rumor protected choline had been fed during the transition period. So Mike used that uh, basically at the end of the talk to make the case that that choline is a required nutrient in transition dairy cows based on the meta analysis, and really. You know, the key points there, you know, one is the consistency of response. In, in almost every study, 
when you supplement rumen protected choline, you get an increase in milk in milk production and energy correct in milk production. Um, there really have only been one or two published studies where there wasn't really, you know, a significant response um, from a production standpoint. The second, really the second point is cows respond at all levels of production. So they were, you know, they, they were, uh, there was a study where the control cows were only averaging uh, about 45 pounds of milk. And there was a nice response to choline supplementation. Um, the highest producing cows were the control cows were close to 100 pounds of, of milk. And they still responded uh, really in the same way. The average, the average response, uh, the average milk response in a meta-analysis was about three and a half pounds of milk. And the average energy corrected milk was higher than that, uh, about, four, about four pounds of milk in the meta-analysis. Well, thank you for that summary, Clay. If anyone would like to view Dr. Van Amberg's complete webinar and slides, go to balchem.com slash real science and scroll down to the 2022 Cornell Mini Symposia. You'll find all four presentations there. Clay, as always, it's uh, great having you here as my co-host. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. And I look forward to our next podcast in the series, New Revelations in Transition Cow Nutrition with Dr. Jose Santos from the University of Florida. To our loyal listeners, thank you for coming along for more than 60 episodes and sticking with us as we explore more topics. We hope to see you next time here at the Real Science Exchange, where it's always happy hour. And you're always among friends. We'd love to hear your comments or ideas for topics and guests. So please reach out via email to anh.marketing at balchem.com with any suggestions and we'll work hard to add them to the schedule. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating on your way out. You can request your Real Science Exchange t-shirt in just a few easy steps. Just like or subscribe to the Real Science Exchange and send us a screenshot along with your address and t-shirt size to anh.marketing at balchem.com. Balchem's Real Science Lecture Series of webinars continues with ruminant-focused topics on the first Tuesday of every month, monogastric-focused topics on the second Tuesday of each month, and quarterly topics for the companion animal segment. Visit balchem.com slash real science to see the latest schedule and to register for upcoming webinars.